RadioInfluence.com. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. I am your host, Vincent Hill. Today is Wednesday, May the 8th, 2019. This year's chugging along. And I want to apologize right off the bat. If I sound stuffy or if I start sneezing, my allergies have been acting up today here in Atlanta. You can tell the weather's getting a little warm. Actually, it's getting downright hot. And uh, my allergies have been acting up just a little bit. So if I sneeze... Or if I sniffle, I'm not crying. It's just my allergies. Um, so a lot of a lot of stuff going on. Uh, let me just get right into it. Um, if you haven't heard by now, uh, Court TV. Many of the people that are in my generation, my age group, remember Court TV. C O U R T TV. Court TV uh, was really huge uh, back in the '90s and the 2000s. It went off the air about 10 years ago or so. Uh, they're famous for covering like things like the O.J. Simpson trial, uh, the um, Casey Anthony trial, so many other trials. Um, but anyway, they relaunched. Uh, they relaunched today, as a matter of fact. It's been coming for quite some time. And yours truly will be a regular guest uh, analyst on Court TV. I was in the studio this past weekend. Uh, they're doing some amazing things. Uh, I'm really excited about it. I'm excited that they chose me to be an analyst. It's funny, when I first heard that Court TV was coming back last year, several months back, uh, I started emailing the head guy uh, over there named Scott. And, you know, my emails went unanswered, unanswered, unanswered. And about a month or two ago, randomly got a message on Twitter from uh, the guest booker at Court TV who said, hey, uh, you were recommended to come on Court TV. Uh, we really want to get you in a- as a guest. And uh, funny how God works. You know, I you know, I had just said, well, maybe it's not meant for me to be on Court TV. And, uh, you know, I'd moved on from it. But, you know, sometimes I have to remember you got to work on God's time, not the time you want. So. Uh, really excited. I think uh, tentatively, tentatively, I'm scheduled to be on Court TV uh, this coming Monday from 12 to 3. That's tentative, but I know for sure I'll be on there next Wednesday, a week from today, and at six from six to nine, and then the following Wednesday from six to nine. So, uh, if I'm not on the air, that's why. If I am on the air, do know that it is definitely pre-recorded because I will. Have those commitments there, Court TV. So tune in, go to CourtTV.com, find out where you can watch. You can actually live stream the shows during the day. It's on the air from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. So go watch. Check me out on Court TV. Now, uh, tomorrow morning, I will be on Fox and Friends first at 4.30 a.m. So I got to go to bed soon. Um, And my son wants to go to the movies. But uh, what I'll be talking about tomorrow uh, in Philadelphia, the uh, district attorney there, Larry Kirsner, uh, is uh, wanting to change something up. He's being described as one of the most progressive district attorneys in the country. Uh, so he was on HBO recently and he talked about implementing a policy in Philadelphia 
uh, where drug users would drug possession, if you will, would uh, they would not be arrested, but more diverted to a diversion program, a drug program instead of being arrested and having a criminal record. Now, someone asked, was this a political move? I would say yes, but I'll get to that in a minute. But here's what I will say about this policy. Uh, in theory, you know, if you go back to the 90s and the Clinton administration, you know, and their tough on crime laws that led to mass incarcerations of prisons uh, and most of those people that are still in prison 20 something years later because of simple drug possession uh, violations uh, is that something I agree with? Absolutely not, because that should be reserved for people who rape, who kill, who sexually assault children, things of that nature. Should you be in jail for life for that stuff? Absolutely. Uh, but should you be in, in prison for 30 years for uh, simple possession of marijuana or cocaine? Absolutely not. But to say that all right, we're not going to arrest you. We're not going to send you to jail. We're just going to let you go to this drug rehab, this diversion program. To me, that's not the answer. And here's why I say I don't think it's the answer. In most cities, especially, let me speak for Nashville. I would arrest someone for a crack rock. Okay, it's their first offense. They get arrested. We go to court. The judge says, okay, I'm going to give you two years, but I'm going to suspend those two years probation and you are required to go to mandatory drug diversion. Okay, your honor. Cool. I'll do it. Guess what? They don't do it. You know why? Because if there's no one there holding them accountable to go, guess what they're going to go do? They're going to go get high again. And then you arrest them again. And guess what? All right, I'm going to give you two years, suspend it, but you got to do drug diversion again. Okay, your honor. I'll go. I won't, uh, I'll do it. And then it's the repeating cycle for the third time. Okay, I'll give you 30 days in jail, which really isn't enough time to detox from your drug, crack, cocaine, meth, heroin, whatever. I'm going to give you 30 days in jail. And then you have to go to this diversion program. Okay, Your Honor, I'll do it. The problem is the when you give someone who has a problem, an addiction, the freedom to not be controlled, guess what? They're going to go to what controls them, the narcotic, the crack cocaine, the heroin, the meth. Now, I got to tell you, I put a lot of people in jail for drug offenses, right? The ones that got clean were the ones that actually stayed incarcerated. Now, I'm not saying, again, locked them up for 45 years, but the ones that got clean were the ones that stayed incarcerated, who then were part of their incarceration were mandated to go to these diversion type programs, these drug rehab programs, because they were controlled. They were mandated. They were held accountable. They weren't given free reign not to show up. So when you look at a city like Philadelphia that has 98 murders to date, and we'll touch on the murders here in a little bit and how it ties in. But I want to look at the bigger problem, right? When you look at the fact that you're saying, oh, if it's simple possession, we're not going to incarcerate you. We can send you to a drug diversion program. OK, let's say simple possession for weed. Weed, we all know, 
If you go to Colorado, certain parts of California, certain cities, you can get weed legally, right? For medical purposes, you can go to a weed shop, you can get the gummies, you can do all of that stuff, right? So, and weed is not one of those drugs that makes you violent. But let's take in meth, right? And you look at a meth user, and I've dealt with meth users, and don't take my word for it, do the research. One of the symptoms of long-term meth use is agitation, which, aka violence. I've come across a lot of violent meth users in my day that wanted to fight, that wanted to assault people, that wanted to break in the houses to get stuff to sell their drugs. They have no rational thinking about them. So now if we're saying, okay, well, it was just simple possession for meth. So as long as you promise to go to this diversion program, I'm not going to give you a criminal history. You're not going to be arrested. As long as you, Mr. Meth Head, promise to go to this diversion program, you are free to go. Oh, I'm free to go? I'm free to go? And I got the urge right now to go get high? Okay. Well, I'm going to go break into a house right now so I can get high. Or someone's going to say something to me that's going to agitate me and I'm going to beat their brains in. If you don't believe me, there's a trial going on right now here in Georgia, in Covington, Georgia, about 30 miles from Atlanta, where the mother and father, Christopher McNabb and Courtney Bell, are on trial for the murder of their 15-day-old baby. Now, the night before, investigators say the two smoked meth amphetamines together, and the baby was found in the woods about 200 yards from the trailer they lived in with her skull bastion, a 15-year-old day, 15-day-old baby. What can agitate you more than a baby crying at night? A baby that you have to get up every hour and you're smoking meth. And that's the type of person you really want to just say, hey, man, if you say you're going to go, we'll let you go. Just make sure you go to this drug treatment. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. This is a political stunt because Larry uh, Kirsner is trying to get reelected district attorney. Those elections are coming up in 2020. We're in 2019. Do the math. So anytime you get around election time, you have certain people, especially progressives, people on the left, that instead of focusing on the problem, let's just make this candy cane solution. You know, the candy canes on the Christmas tree where you're a kid and your mom tells you don't eat the candy canes because we have to save them for Christmas. And by the time Christmas comes, you've eaten all the candy canes off the tree because that's what you're supposed to do. What a meth head is supposed to do or someone that has an addiction, they're supposed to go get high because that's what their body tells them to do. So to me, this is not a solution here. I personally feel it's going to lead to more drug use because what's the incentive? All right, I'm not going to get arrested. So why should I even stop using drugs? You're not going to arrest me. You're not going to hold me accountable. Why should I stop using drugs? But let me think big picture here really quick. In Philadelphia, I mentioned the 98 murders that they have this year so far, and last year was 300 and something. Now, out of that 98 murders, think about this. How many of those do you think are drug-related, right? Drug-related. Because people, yes, they kill people for several reasons, domestic, whatever. But you don't think drug murders still go on? You don't think there's still people fighting for drug turf? In a city like Philadelphia, hell, any city in the United States for that matter, you don't think that still happens? So why wouldn't you target the drug dealers versus the drug users? Here's where I'm going with that. 
So now if I'm a drug dealer in Philly and let's say this law passes and I know for a fact if I'm a drug dealer and police catch me with a certain amount of narcotics on my person, they can charge me with dealing drugs. I'm just going to switch the game up. And every time I get a call or a text that someone says, hey, I need to re-up, instead of me like going around with a lot of my drugs on me, I'm just going to carry enough where I can say if I get caught, hey, this is really this is just simple possession. So just send me to drug court, drug diversion, and let's call it a day. Now, even though I have criminal history that says for the last five years, I've been arrested eight times for dealing drugs. No, I'm not. No, I'm not dealing officer. No, no, no. This is just personal use, simple possession. So I'm not dealing. Just send me to this drug court. Just send me to the drug court. I'm not dealing. You see how that can be a problem on so many levels. You're really not tackling the problem of holding drug users accountable to get off the drugs because you're giving them free reign, trusting that they will do it, which they won't based on my experience. Trust me. And then you're giving the drug dealers an opportunity to switch the game up and say, shoot, I'm just going to carry one or two little baggies at a time. And if I get stopped, nah, officer, I'm not I'm not a dealer. This is personal use. You want to see me light it up right now? Like this personal use. Come on. That's not the solution. The solution is to, in my opinion, go after the major drug dealers in your cities, the drug gangs that infest Philadelphia. And they're not hard to find. Trust me, there's crack houses, there's meth houses in Philadelphia. It's not hard to find. When you shut that down, people can't get drugs, right? Like if I went to McDonald's and they were out of French fries, guess what? I can't get French fries at McDonald's. I would have to go to Burger King. All right. So if you put the drug dealers out of business, if I wanted a hamburger and drove down to McDonald's and they're closed forever, guess what? I can't go to McDonald's and get a hamburger anymore because they're closed forever. So if you put the drug dealers out of business, you really don't have to worry about focusing on, oh, let's give this drug interdiction thing a try. Just go there. And then we're not even talking cost. Because the stuff's not free. You can't just go sit in a diversion program and it's free. It's not cheap. So does it cost the same amount to incarcerate someone and at least make sure they're getting off the drugs? That's something to think about. If I had to look at data and if they pulled the data, it's probably about the same amount for one person to go through this whole program because it's not really fast. It's not like you're there for a day. It's like, you're there for a day. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. You are now free of drugs. Go and sin no more. That's not how it works. You're not there a day. You're there for, for quite some time because you have to first kick the drug. Then you have to learn how to not be dependent on the drug. Then there's, I'm sure, classes that go along with that, like job training, all of this stuff, which you have to pay people to come in and do. So if you look at a cost standpoint, I don't even think it's going to be cheaper than to have someone incarcerated where you can hold them accountable. Now, again, if you ask me, this is for votes and votes only. But here's the thing, and I don't want to offend anyone. Uh, and, and listen, there, there's so many different types of drug users out there. I mean, there's people that are functioning drug users that use pills like that's really common in the suburbs and they function every day. They go to work every day. They do things. 
right? They're involved in their community. But when you're talking about someone that's addicted to crack cocaine or methamphetamines or heroin, they're not going to the voting polls anyway. Out of all the people that I've arrested for crack, heroin, meth, Dilatus, all of those addictive type street drugs. They never said, hey, officer, I need to go to the voting poll. Most of them really didn't care. They spent their days, their nights trying to score their next fix. So this is for votes. You're really not going to see an increase of people voting for you because you passed that law, because that demographic, let's be honest, they don't go to the voting polls. Again, unless you're talking about people addicted to pills, but those people, you can't even add to this equation. Here's why. Because those people, don't, they don't get arrested. They're not out on the street buying drugs. You know, they're getting their pills from a doctor friend or someone else they were prescribed to, and then they just pass them along. So take them out of the equation. The demographic you're talking about are those people on the streets buying the crack, buying the meth, buying the heroin. They're not voting anyway. So I personally think this is about votes. But it's really a mute point because that's not a voting population. That's just my opinion. Now, I want to switch gears uh, really quick. Uh, You guys may remember Sandra Bland. Uh, She was stopped uh, on a traffic stop uh, back in 2015 in Texas. Um, And she somehow became part of the uh, Black Lives Matter movement and all of this stuff. So. Long story short, if you don't remember, she was stopped by an officer who they say was white. I believe he was actually Hispanic, Brian Encinia. That sounds Hispanic to me. He looks Hispanic. Um, State trooper, traffic stop. Anyway, at some point, uh, and I've said this, I've gone on record and said this. Do I agree with him getting her out of the car just because she was being a butthole? No, I don't. People are buttholes all the time. But uh, she got arrested. For resisting arrest, which when she got out of the car, that's what she did. No matter what you say or do, that's what she did. She resisted arrest. So she was taken to jail. I can't remember. It was the same day, the next day, whatever. Uh, She was found in her cell hung uh, based on all the surveillance outside of the the theories. She hung herself inside the jail. Um, And again, somehow she became part of the Black Lives Matter movement and, um, you know, it was just another case of a black person being stopped by police. Why well, I watched the dash cam footage. I think he had a legal right to stop her. Right. Um, so anyway, fast forward 2019, uh, a day or so ago, some news footage has surfaced supposedly from her cell phone because I've seen his body cam. I've seen his dash cam. I knew she was recording with her cell phone. Um, and the video is only like 39 seconds. And It says it reveals um, her point of view of the traffic stop. And I think in the officer did get charged with uh, uh, what did he get charged with? Uh, Contempt of court or or something like that, because he said he was in fear or he felt threatened during the traffic stop. Now they're saying this 39 second video proves that he wasn't threatened. You know, that's up for debate. You know, you, you, you can see him on her body cam where he has to tase her out. She's like, oh, you're going to tase me. You're going to tase me. But all the while, she's still not following his commands, um, refusing to get out of the car. She finally does. And he's like, hey, put your phone down. She's like, this is my property. I don't have to put my phone down. Well, technically, if he was about to arrest you, 
he's trying to tell you to put the phone down so it doesn't get broken and so he can put you in handcuffs. But all the while, if you go back and watch the dash cam and his body cam, I believe he had body cam, you can see her actively resisting arrest. So the family's saying, well, he wasn't threatened. You know, do I think he was threatened? No. Do I think it changes anything in that traffic stop? Not particularly, because again, at the end of the day, I feel that Sandra Bland was verbally resisting and then physically resisting arrest. Do I agree with him getting her out of the car? Nope. I've said that. Do I agree with the arrest? Nope. I said that. You know, even at one point uh, she was sitting in a car and he's like, put your cigarette out. She's like, why? I'm sitting in my car. Like if I had to tell everyone I've ever stopped during a, a traffic stop to put their cigarette out, I would spend the majority of my day just saying, hey, put your cigarette out, put your cigarette out. You know, unless the only time I've really had someone put a cigarette out or ask someone to put a cigarette out, if we're standing face to face and you're there with the lit cigarette, you could easily flick that hot cigarette in my face, burn me with it, cause a distraction, all of that stuff. So that part I get. But to say you're in your car smoking a cigarette, mm, I'm not there. But uh, I guess long story short, you know, this 39 second video and feel free to go online and look look at it. It doesn't change what happened, in my opinion, it doesn't change the outcome of her actions as far as not listening to verbal commands, not listening once she was placed under arrest. Again, do I agree with the arrest? No. Do I think it was stupid? Yes. Is it something I would have done? No. But the family saying, hey, based on this, she should still be alive. Well, the only problem is the officer didn't kill her. He arrested her. He took her to jail. He left. He's gone. She hung herself uh, the next day, I believe. So, um, you know, we, we can have that debate whether the videotape exonerates the fact that she wasn't being threatening. But at the end of the day, once you're given that command, whether you agree with it or not, to keep yourself safe, and I always say compliance, to com to keep yourself safe. If the officer tells you to get out of the car, just do it. Because that's when the minute you say no or why or all of this stuff and start being combative is the minute I'm going to want to reach in that car and yank you out, right? That's just how it is. So if the officer says step out of the car, just step out of the car. Get out. Put your hands behind your back. Do whatever. And then if you feel you have a grievance, by all means, file it later. Honestly, I think she had enough on her cell phone to when she got back later to say if she was still alive to say, hey, listen, look at this video. Does it look like I'm being threatening here? I was just simply asking questions, but we'll never know because she's not here to tell that story. All right. Switching gears because we're almost out of time. Uh, Edmond, Oklahoma. Uh, and I'm just learning about this today, as a matter of fact, uh, apparently, um, I believe it was last week uh, there was a kid in uh, Edmond, Oklahoma, 17-year-old Isaiah Lewis, who was shot and killed uh, by police. And I'm guessing, because I haven't seen it plastered over the mainstream media, that the two officers, Sergeant Milo Box and Officer Denton Sherman, uh, are black officers because... Isaiah Lewis was black. And again, I haven't seen it on CNN and all of this stuff. But uh, there have been a few protests there uh, from Black Lives Matter. A hundred people showed up protesting 
Um, but let me give you the skinny. So, and, and of course, there's the local NAACP saying the police handled it wrong and they uh, didn't react the proper way to someone that may have been under mental impairment. Um, so the, the actual quote uh, from Reverend uh, T. Sherry Dickerson, the director of Black Lives Matter Oklahoma City, said police failed to uh, appropriately, they failed to respond appropriately to a boy who was in some type of impaired state. So background, uh, his girlfriend or someone called the police saying he was acting erratic. Uh, okay, you call the police. Guess what? Police are going to show up. Right. They again, police have no option. They can't say, nah, we're not going. They, even if it's, hey, there's somebody standing in the street scratching their booty hole. Guess what? If you call the police, they're required to respond to that call. OK, now. So girlfriend, I believe, shows up, calls the police, says, hey, he's acting erratic. OK, police in response because they got called show up, then they find 17-year-old Isaiah Lewis running down the street naked. Now, usually when I see that, in my experience, doesn't necessarily mean they have mental issues, but it does mean at that moment, they are under the impairment of a narcotic that has gone bad in their system. I've fought naked people. I've chased naked people. It's usually because they're under the influence of a narcotic that has totally messed up their system. So, Police see him. He runs. Right. OK. Police got called about a guy acting erratic. Now he's naked running down the street. Guess what? Police have to actually contain the situation. Right. Get this person into custody. Right. Because now it's a public nuisance and there's a safety issue. And police, based on their experience, because the Sergeant Milo Box had 17 plus years experience, they know that this person is under the influence. So then Isaiah Lewis goes and breaks into a home. Police, of course, with exigent circumstances or to the street people, hot pursuit. They go into the home as well because he had just broken into this home. Now, there's no body cam, and I don't know if these two officers just don't have body cams. I don't know if Edmond, Oklahoma Police Department have body cams. I don't know. But anyway, uh, they attempt to subdue, arrest Isaiah Lewis. He fights with the officers, according to reports. They attempt to tase him, has no effect. And eventually they have to use deadly force. He shot multiple times. Now, how many times? I don't know, because the autopsy hasn't been released. Now, people are saying that's not how it went down or, you know, they didn't deal with it properly. My first question to them would be, have you ever chased a naked suspect? Have you ever had to fight a naked suspect? When you see someone naked, they are under the influence. And then my next comment to that would be, I've seen where tasers have not had any effect on someone under the influence. In Nashville, there were a few officers that got sued. I believe one lost his job because they tased a Vanderbilt student, I believe, a record five times. And it wasn't because they were just having fun. Look at that. It's because he wasn't feeling anything because he was so geeked up on cocaine that his body just wasn't feeling it. So I can understand how if these two officers, given the fact that he's acting erratic, he's naked, he breaks into a home. Now he fights. They try to taser which I'm sure if you know anything about tasers that police departments have, when you pull that trigger and the prongs come out, there's these little little bitty pieces of paper that have the serial number that tells you, yes, that taser was fired. So I'm sure that they can confirm the taser was fired. And at some point, 
And I don't know how intense the fight got, but at some point when you're, remember, police use the amount of force necessary to effect the arrest. And the suspect, the individual, if their force continues to go up, you go up in your force. And there is not a point where you have to say, man, I have to go through steps one, now two, now three, now four, now five, now six, now seven. Oh, now I can finally use deadly force. At any point, if there's a threat against your life, you can use deadly force. Now, we don't know if this individual was given the business to both of these officers, like AKA whooping their ass. I mean, some people may say that's impossible. No, because I've been in fights where it's been me and another officer and that person gave us the business. They were whooping our ass because they weren't feeling anything. And I've been in fights one-on-one where people were giving me the business and I was giving them the business because they weren't feeling anything. So we don't know what happened in the house. We can assume that the taser was deployed. And again, they'll be able to verify this. But the, 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 the part that I always say, and it's fine to protest, but there's a lack of understanding. I've said it and I'll say it again. There's a lack of understanding and there's a lack of accountability. You call the police, police are going to show up. That's one. You're running down the street naked. That's two. You break into a home, which is now a crime, likely a felony in the state of Oklahoma. You break into a home. Police are required to then go in and place that person under arrest for now said burglary, including all the other crimes, eluding, fleeing, disorderly conduct, all of that stuff. So it's easy to point the finger and say police didn't do what they were supposed to do. But the bigger issue is here, if this individual, Isaiah Lewis, was under the influence of something, let's say he was under the influence of a bad round of crack or or, or, or lace marijuana or something like that. The bigger issue is how did the 17-year-old get his hands on that narcotic? Where was his guidance to stay off that narcotic, right? Because we can point the finger at police all day, every day, but A, until you've done that job, and trust me, when I would show up to a call, because it's happened a few times, and that individual was naked, I knew I was getting ready to be in one hell of a fight. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And all of the officers that would respond knew we were going to be in a hell of a fight because that person is not there. They're not feeling anything because they're under the influence of some stuff that, man, if you could sell on the street as a pain pill, there'd be people or selling a pharmacy at a, as a pain pill. That thing would sell out like crazy because you don't feel anything. So it's easy for people to say, you know, police didn't respond appropriately to a boy who was in some type of impaired state. Well, how do you respond appropriately, right? Do you sit there and do you wait for them to come down off their high? Do you sit there and let them continue to break into a house? Let's say he broke into this house. There's a 90-year-old couple in there, and then they attempt to get him out, and he kills them. So should officers just wait for him to go on and do what he's going to do? And after he snaps back into reality, then you react? How do you... Uh, respond appropriately to that when you're not given that opportunity. It, it it doesn't doesn't work that way. It's not how it works. You have to act, and you have to act in that moment. So, of course, uh, the next steps as this goes along, and maybe it will get picked up by mainstream media uh, at some point. But again, 
I don't know this for a fact, but I'm guessing the officers were black because otherwise we would already be hearing two white officers shoot unarmed, naked black men. Uh, so I assume that they're, those officers are minority. I could be wrong, but that's my assumption, right? Um, of course, I'm sure the next step will be, hey, they need to be fired. The chief of police needs to be fired. All this good stuff. Uh, they need to be charged with murder. And who knows? Maybe they will be. But if everything is white, what, what they said, then I really don't see this going much further than a grand jury to review and say there's no or maybe even the district attorney to review and say there's no grounds for any indictment here or no charges. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. And of course, I will update you on it. Uh, all right. We're out of time. Um, so it's time for my 10-7 segment uh, tonight. I want to honor and I'm so sad to hear this story. Uh, it happened Sunday. This officer was ambushed. Uh, police officer Robert McKeithen, uh, Biloxi Police Department, Biloxi, Mississippi. His end of watch was Sunday, May 5th, 2019. Sunday when most people are going to church, going out to lunch, laying on their couch watching TV, watching a basketball game, watching their favorite show, or sleeping. This officer lost his life. Robert McKeithen, police officer Robert McKeithen, was shot and killed in the Lopez Cuev Public Safety Center's parking lot at 170 Porter Avenue at about 10 p.m. A male subject walked up to him and shot him multiple times without any provocation. Officer McKeithen was transported to a nearby hospital where he succumbed to his wounds. The subject who shot him was arrested on May 6th and charged with capital murder. Officer McKeithen was a U.S. Air Force veteran. He had served with the Biloxi Police Department for 24 years and was planning on retiring by the end of the year. He is survived by his wife, daughter, stepdaughter, and two stepsons. 24 years, military veteran, and gunned down in the parking lot of a police station. Now, the individual that shot him, uh, his mom is already saying, oh, he has mental health issues and something wasn't right with them. And I believe one member of the NAACP there said, well, you know, uh, he had threatened his his god sister at one point about shooting her. So obviously he had mental health issues. Well, maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Uh, but I'm guessing, you know, at 21 years old and someone that hadn't done this before, I'm guessing he probably knew right from wrong. So that'd be up for the court to decide. But we're quick to say someone has mental health issues when uh, they do something wrong. And I hate to say it, if the shoe was on the other foot and Robert McKeithen, who is a white guy, average looking white guy, but a law enforcement officer would have shot the 21 year old suspect in that parking lot. This story would have made national news and we would still be hearing about it even though it happened Sunday. That's just my opinion. All right, I want to thank you for listening so much. Again, catch me on Court TV starting next week. Tune in to CourtTV.com to find out where you can watch. Check us out over there. And I will see you same time, same place next week right here, RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is a dark to light with Frank and Beans Quick Fix on Radio Influence.
We have to talk about these tough things. And sometimes it's not going to be roses and, and unicorns. But it doesn't mean that all hope is lost by any stretch of the imagination. It's one of those situations where I just don't see how the side that is committing themselves to such absurdity is going to be able to survive in any kind of a meaningful way because I always say it, it's either they get outed for the crooks and the grifters and the the intellectually dishonest people that they are, or they get their way and the world comes crashing down because all their ideas are so bad that there's there's really nothing else there. This is a self-correcting mechanism. This earth, our species... It's just what happens. It happens to be that we are all alive during a time where we're coming down the other the other end of the hill and there needs to be another upturn, another turnaround, another uh, replenishing. There needs to be a little bit of fight. There needs to be a little bit of struggle and there needs to be a lot of uh, courage that, that is that is shown at this time. That's just what it comes down to. It's what is it? The what was it? The old John F. Kennedy quote. Don't. Uh, don't don't pray to to have the the burden taken off your shoulders pray to become stronger people mm. stronger man you know that's just that's just what it is this is just one of those phases you can take this template and put it over all throughout history and here we are again so it's it's all right it's all right to get angry discouraged a little bit but you got to we all have to dust ourselves off a little bit quicker than we than we're used to and get on with it At the end of the day, I think that we're going to be seeing positive change. Dark to Light with Frank and Beans can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.